Welcome to Long Story Short. Each week we sit down with different guests to discuss issues important to the campus community at the University of Utah. Utah State Legislative Session upcoming, we are interviewing Jason Perry, the director of the Hinckley Institute at the University of Utah. Jason Perry is the Vice President for Government Relations at the University of Utah and has served in this capacity since January of 2011. In addition to this role, he began serving as the director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics on July 1st of 2015. Prior to this, Jason served as the Chief of Staff to Utah Governor Gary R. Herbert. He has also served as the Director of the Governor's Office for Economic Development under Utah Governor John Huntsman. He's been in a Special Assistant U.S. Attorney as well as a member of the Utah State Attorney General Staff where he launched the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force and received the FBI Director's Award for Distinguished Service to the Law Enforcement Community. So Jason, I'm super stoked to have you here. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you're from, and what piqued your interest in politics and your field? Yeah, for sure. It's good to be with you, Talmadge. Uh, Thanks. Uh, This is a good time of year to be talking about politics and other things as well. So... um, so I'm, I'm from Utah primarily. Utah and Idaho are the two places where I've where I've grown up and been closely associated associated with the University of Utah. Here I went to law school here at the U and loved it. And so uh, when it came time to come back and work at the U, it was an opportunity I was looking forward to. And so I've been here for, as you saw, like around 11 years now yeah. uh, in, in a couple of roles here on campus. And I was just glad, glad to be here. The University of Utah is the best. Love it. Well, could you just tell us a little bit about your role as director of the Hinckley Center, as well as university vice president for government relations? Yeah, so it's interesting, two roles that I that I have here on campus, and they're both both very much connected to each other. Uh, the Hinckley Institute of Politics has been around for over, over, over 55 years. People might not know this, the oldest internship program in the country wow. here at the University of Utah. Uh, so in Washington, D.C., every semester we send students uh, to intern um, on Capitol Hill, other places. And I think it's interesting. It's the Hinckley Institute of Politics, but we have hundreds of students we send out, and they're not all just in politics. Every single major on campus now has interns through the Hinckley Institute. We send that, mm. They're on the Hill. Sometimes they're working in political offices. Sometimes they're working at museums or think tanks, law firms. You have an interest on campus to do an internship? We're going to find a spot for you. Sometimes it's local. Sometimes it's in D.C. Uh, sometimes it's international. You want to go someplace in the world? We take care of that too. So you know, everything in life has an element of politics, but that's yeah. an important part and of of the Hinckley Institute of Politics is that whatever your major is, whatever it is you're interested in, we've got we've got something for you. So that's the primary thing that we do at the Hinckley Institute. We also have. Uh, some so like 26 interns with our Utah State Legislature mm. that starts on Tuesday. So that's yeah. another great opportunity. You want to get involved with local politics. You do like that kind of thing. We're always placing interns with legislators as well. An amazing experience, 45 straight days, an education you can't get in any other way. That's part one. Yeah. So part two is uh, every single week during the semester, we have a forum. We give you pizza, and you get a chance to listen to the greatest minds in the world about topics that are of interest. Uh, we don't take sides at the Hinckley Institute. We're completely nonpartisan. We present the students with the, with the information, with the people. They decide 
what what they think about it. So that's kind of our core mission right there. And then uh, after we have these forums, we do this internship. What we talk to the students about is whatever your politics are, stay engaged. A life of engagement mm. in the process, whatever it is. So there you go. That's the Hinkley Institute. And what are some of the you know job descriptions for an intern? I'm curious if it's a major that's not super um, you know political like political yeah. science. What are some of the different things that these interns might do? Yeah, so if, if they're working with the legislature, you get a lot of politics. But in every single one of these offices, I'll just tell you what they often do. So sometimes they're working on policy. Got a lot of people who are saying, hey, the, the policy side of politics is important. And it, and it really is. Yeah. you got to have that vehicle to get something done. But the other part is there are things in communications, for example. This great podcast we got students that are helping members of the legislature do their own podcasts weekly. Uh, they're, they're on film. They're on TV. They're writing press releases. There's a lot of things that are not purely political that these interns mm-hmm. end up doing. And some of them have – it's always a little part of a political shop is uh, you get to talk to the constituents. Yeah. Sometimes cool. they're happy. Sometimes they're writing when they're not. And that's also a good thing for our students. They get to – get to interface with the, with the constituents themselves and, uh, and understand what the problems are. Understand there's lots of different approaches to the problems that we're facing. And that's just great experience in life as well. Learn to listen. I learned to understand another position and uh, try to help where we can. Hmm. So what are some of the unique political problems that Utah is facing that would be different than if a student interned in a different state? Well, I, I think there are a lot of things that are sort of common across the country. Uh, for the people, the students are interning with our legislature for right now, I'll just tell you, it's going to be a lot about water. All right? Yeah. We've got to save the Great Salt Lake. We've got interns that are going to be working on the Great Salt Lake. They're work on drinking water, storage, metering of water. A lot of stuff is going to be happening this session that these interns are going to be helping with. And that's, that's another extension, too. That's not purely political. We have people interested in these kinds of policies on campus, students that get to be engaged there. There's going to be a lot on infrastructure, a ton of work on public education. Mm. We're going to see so much of that. You, it's interesting. This session, we're going to hear um, a bill come forward that's, that has the potential of really changing how public ed works. In, in what way? In the state. Well, so r- right now, um, the legislature funds money based on the students it's called this this weighted pupil number. We always hear about this in the press, that the state does not have a very high number for per pupil. But this year we're going to see a piece of legislation that is going to potentially um, give what the state would call a state-funded scholarship for per student. So I don't want to be in the public school system like a traditional school district. They will also pay if I want to go to a charter school. I want to go to homeschool, uh, various kinds of, of, of Uh, educational uh, opportunities for these students. The money will flow with the student. The -hmm. idea for some of these legislatures is creates a little bit of competition, might improve it for everyone, but the idea of giving choice to families or parents or uh, guardians for their their children about where they go to school and how they educate them. This is going to be a huge conversation this session. Hmm. Well, let's talk more about the legislative session in general. What are some issues that you think will be addressed? And then also some issues that you personally would like to see addressed. Yeah. Uh, so uh, those, those who I just talked about are definitely going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, tax cuts. Yeah. Okay. We have Right. Well, they had the biggest tax cut last session. It was an enormous cut last time. There will be another, I I predict, another tax cut this session. Going into the 45 days with our legislature, 
it's about just over $3 billion of excess revenue. This is mm. ongoing and one-time money that they're going to be distributing. This is beyond sort of the normal base budgets of government. They've got a pretty serious amount of money to, um, to distribute. And so um, most of the policy decisions are based on that. For, for the U, there's a couple things I'll talk about since yeah. we're kind of getting there. Uh, we have some, some priorities. Uh, we have a building that we're working on, the computer science building, the, the right. Price Computer Science Building. You may have heard about this connected to our engineering school. Uh, but this school of computing, uh, uh, we, we, we're trying to finish off. So we got $20 million last legislative session. We really allocated 20 to the university, just under $5 million we used to do some planning and design. Um, we're working really hard on that building. So we, we need another $60 million from the legislature. I know this is real money to finish off that 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 project. And, yeah. our, and what, what's great about it is the, the system of higher education gets to prioritize one building every session, and this is their choice. Wow. So we're in really great shape going to the legislative session. Uh, we, we, we always work on compensation for faculty, staff, all the people that work on campus in any, in any capacity to try to get some, some increased compensation, which is, you know, it's a, a retention, recruitment issue on campus to make sure we've got the best faculty, we've got the best people working on campus. That's an important issue for us also. Well, what are the biggest ways that the U has a voice? The University of Utah has a voice in the session. Do we have, you know, ambassadors? How does that work? Yeah, so we have several groups. I help with this. Natalie Tippett's government relations helps on the Hill with us, too. We're kind of the tag team on the Hill. But we have students that are up there through ASUU that are on the Hill. Sometimes they work on bills that we're, that we're, that we're interested in. Sometimes they have their own bill. We help them with that also. And we also have uh, staff uh, that has their own government relations group that works on issues that they care about. And so apart from those formal formal groups, there are there will be over 1,300 bills drafted wow. this legislative session. Of those, you'll get about 800-some-odd uh, bills that actually get some kind of committee time. They get some air time. And then about 550 to 560, those will become law. And so there's a lot of opportunities for our students to uh, to fo- not just follow the legislation, but to go testify. Did you know you could do that? No. If you have a bill you are interested in, you go to the committee hearing, and there will be a time on every single bill when they say, do we have anyone from the public that would like to speak for or against this bill? And we have students up there every single year that are helping to exercise their right to, to engage in the process, and they testify. And, wow. of, of course, through my, through, through my shop, student wants to know how to do it, we'll tell them. We, you know, we, they can say whatever they, they want as a student, as a citizen, and we'll help them understand the process and how to make sure their voice is heard. That's, that's a process that not everyone avails themselves of, but they should. Well, and I know so many students that I talk to are pretty frustrated with politics on a national and local yeah. level. Um, so could you just say more about how students can get involved in politics in general, why yeah. we should? Um, like when I hear something like that, like, you know, a student can testify. I'm like, oh, how do they know what time to do that yeah, or yeah. how to find out more? Yeah, so a, cu- a couple things. One, one, let me just tell all the listeners of this this podcast, there's a website. It's le.utah.gov. All right, that's the legislative website. You go, if you went right now and you say, what committee hearings are happening on Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday of next week? You just click on it. We'll say not only what time it's going to be, what, what bills are going to be up and an approximate time of when they will be hearing those particular bills. That's the best way to do it. That's what I do. You know, yeah. I, I follow that. You know, they, you ha, you, by law, they have to post 24 hours in advance. 
what bill they're going to discuss. And for our students have something they care about, go to that website, read the bill files, see when the committee is meeting, and show up. Mm. And, and that really is because you started your, your, your great question with, you know, a lot of times students don't feel, you know, really great about the political process. Right, yeah. It's true. But the worst thing that can happen, in my opinion, is that we disengage because of it. Right, exactly. And, and, but that's the tendency. I mean, that's what some of us want to do is say, I can't stand the whole thing. I just will just ignore it. So we can not care about it, but it's still going to impact us. So the best thing for our students and our community to do is say, uh, when, when you get most discouraged, it's time for you to double down on your participation. Mm. Are there any controversial bills that you could see happening? Oh, without question, there will be some. I mentioned one that how we fund public education is going to be one of them. We'll see um, a, a bit, we'll see at least one bill the very first se- first week of the session on uh, on transgender care, uh, hormone therapy, puberty blockers, etc. We'll see that almost immediately. There will mm. be a bill about abortion. Uh, and where the state is going to put those guidelines uh, pretty quick as well. Yeah. Um, I'll just give you a couple of those. I'm, we don't really have anything on transgender athletes this year okay. uh, so far, uh, but that just gives you a flavor. And these are very high, uh, you know, high-profile, intense issues that you're going to hear about in the press starting right out of the gate. Hmm. Well, and if a student wanted to get a bill, like say a student wanted to get like a transgender athlete bill um, in, is that something that they could go to and testify about, or how would yeah, so they approach that? Two, two parts. So uh, you need to have a, a legislator has to sponsor a piece of legislation. So say a student has an idea, we want to do whatever, just name your thing. This is an issue we want to take care of. You would have to go to a legislator, and the legislator would open a bill file uh, and get the Office of Legislative Research and General Counsel to draft the language of that bill. And if you get a legislator say, yes, I love that idea, I'll work on it, you get to work on the language of that, and then you get that process. So that's that's track one, is okay. you got to have a legislator do it, and then you can help through the entire process and testify. Um, part two, as you were just kind of discussing, is a bill that's already there that a student supports or doesn't support. That's when they need to show up to the committee hearing and say, you know, my, my name is, this is where I'm from in the state of Utah, and I, I urge you to vote for or against this bill for these reasons. Uh, that's the second part to engage on bills that are already out there. You know, on the, the, if there was a transgender athlete bill like there was last year, we did have students show up and testify. Mm. Well, Jason, before we end, I do want to just swing back to, um, you know, the center, um, the Hinckley Institute. And um, I guess I have a question kind of about Washington, D.C. Yeah. So in the summer of 2021, the University of Utah acquired a permanent residence in, uh, in D.C. Uh, named after the late U.S. Senator Orrin Hatch. So could you just talk about uh, what the impact of this residence on Hinckley's ability to conduct programming in the nation's capital is? I, I'm so glad you even know about that. You know, <laughs> so, so we've been around for such a long time in D.C. and we rent yeah. apartments and they're expensive and, you know, they're, they're you know, pretty you know, long metro ride away from where everyone is. So we just acquired this property. It's right off of DuPont Circle for the listeners who know that particular part of, of the city. And we, we looked for years for a, an apartment complex where we could have a permanent flag in Washington, D.C. This is what we found. Started on 18th Street off of DuPont Circle. These two brownstones, four and five stories, we'll be able to have 51 beds wow. uh, in this facility. So this is going to dramatically improve the number of students that we can have in D.C. because this is always the limiting thing for us. We have more yeah. students than we can have, have bed space for, so this dramatically increases that number. Uh, but it's not just that. This is 
This is our embassy in Washington, D.C. For our students to know, not just a great place to live, has this carriage house where we'll have events. It's got this courtyard where people will come and visit the University of Utah. This is a serious investment in our nation's capital, and mostly it's an investment in our students. This mm-hmm. is going to be a prime experience. I mean, everyone's going to want to do it. I'm telling right. you, it's that great. <laughs> wow. Well, that sounds really exciting. And you know, I mean, it sounds like there's just a lot going on locally and nationally that students can get involved in. Um, I'm curious if you have any final words or final links or anything yeah. like that to get students involved. Yeah, so uh, let me just say this. Uh, we take all majors on campus, and we heavily subsidize the entire process. No matter what your interest is or in your financial situation, just come to the Hinckley Institute of Politics. We're going to help take care of business for you. We're gonna get, if you want to do an internship, we'll find a time, a place. This is really one of those rare places not just on campus, where we're just going to help it out. So whatever it is, we're just going to help. You know, and fi- mm. finances should never be a reason for anyone to say, I can't do an internship. We're going to find a way for every student that wants one to be able to get out. Jason Perry, everyone, thank you so much. Hey, thank you, guys. Hey, guys, we got an awesome panel for you today. We're just going to quickly introduce ourselves with our name, pronouns, as well as major, year, and kind of a fun question, where would you intern if you could intern anywhere? So I'll start. My name's Talmadge. Um, I'm the host here, and uh, my pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm majoring in English, and I'm a second year at the U. Um, in terms of where I would intern, I would probably have to say the UK. Yeah, what about you? I'm, <clears throat> I'm Parker. I'm the director here. I am a fourth-year film and media arts major. It's officially my last semester at the U. Exciting. And I use he, they pronouns. And if I could intern anywhere, it would be Manhattan. Sounds fun. Awesome. My name's Connor. I'm a sophomore communications major, minoring in arts tech. I use he, him pronouns. And if I could uh, intern anywhere, I'd probably choose Norway or Denmark. I'd like to see Scandinavia. Sweet. Nice. Well, I'm Ben. I'm the producer of this podcast. I'm a fourth year Uh, I'm a senior. It's my last semester as well, studying political science and peace and conflict studies. Um, If I could intern anywhere, this would probably be the, I don't know, UK Parliament or something. Um, Also, I should probably, like, give a disclaimer now that um, anything I say here represents my own personal views and does not represent the views of any other organization on campus whether it be housing and residential education or the associated students of the University of Utah. Good stuff. Also, we should uh, go to the UK together because that was both yeah, of our that'd answers. that would be fun. Yeah. yeah I mean, road I, trip to London. Exactly. I, I, so I should mention, too, like I was thinking about doing a um, Hinkley Institute internship, and it didn't work super well with like my schedule and plan. I, I might still, um, but you actually went on one, didn't you? Yes, yeah, so in the fall of 2021, I interned in Washington, D.C. for a national security nonprofit called the American College of National Security Leaders. It's a group of retired generals and ambassadors that sought to give a you know, civics education essentially on national security-related topics, and it was a really good experience. Got to meet a lot of cool people. That sounds dope. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm curious like, what your guys' impressions are on you know, the Hinckley Institute in general, whether it's personal experiences or like what you've heard about it or also just what we talked about with Jason. I mean, I, I mainly just know it from talking to Ben when he was doing his. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
yeah. Yeah, I thought it sounded like a pretty good sales pitch. Um, as someone who's uh, <laughs> not very politically involved and I'm slowly uh, developing my own uh, politics, mm. uh, it's something I would definitely look into and be interested in. I mean, as a communications major, uh, that was kind of one of the points he highlighted that I could work on, you know, media, podcasts, uh, kind of help with the non-political stuff while still being involved and informed. It'll be political stuff, Connor. <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. Like, um, when you do press releases, podcasts for, like, Congress people or, like, state legislators, for example, it's going to be political. Are it you, just may not be, like, as dense, you know? Are you sure I, I can't be doing a Dungeons & Dragons podcast with AOC? <laughs> Theoretically, you probably could. Theoretically, but um, that would be interesting for sure. I'm just telling him, if you're looking for something non-political, probably don't go work for a politician. Yeah, I'd, I'd assume that that would be the case. I, I just <laughs> mean like my uh, – I could stay out of, a, you know, legislation and mm. that, the whole oh, political for sure. process while staying involved and close enough to it Definitely. That, that, I, that I know what's going on. Yeah, yeah I mean that was one thing that um, – was surprising to me, I guess, right? Where Jason was kind of talking about like, hey, you can do this no matter what major you come from. Because for me, I'm like, I think it would be really cool to go on one of these internships, but I don't know if I'm enough, like, I'm, I don't know if I'm uh, interested in politics enough to really do one, um, you know? So it's just like, I don't know. I think the media thing could be really cool. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Like, what were you doing politically, Ben, when you were there? Yeah, I did a lot of nonprofit administration, emailing members of that organization, um, that sort of thing, right? For some grant research, a little bit of grant writing. Um, yeah, no, there's a lot of good, like in D.C., you go to like not directly political stuff, though, right? Like the Library of Congress Yeah, right. has, you know, the National Archives. It's not, it's a lot of, it's, you know researching history it's not directly political you know but still it's like you're an english major right, right. Mm -hmm. so if you wanted to get involved that way you know there's so many different i'm sure literary organizations in yeah. dc it's a huge city so yeah that could be cool um i'm wondering like what you guys are interested in politically in general is there any like I, part of politics like local national level stuff i'm pretty uh just concerned Mm. <laughs> that describes a lot of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm very far left if the rest of these podcasts haven't been a clear indication. <laughs> uh, which makes me pretty concerned about local politics especially, but just given that Utah is run by a church. But, I mean, national is also very scary right now. It's a scary time to care about human rights. Mm. For sure. No, it's um. Retweet. There's a lot of concerns. Are you gonna say something, Connor? I oh. just said retweet. Retweet. I yeah. Retweet. <laughs> no, I mean, say like, I'm a poli sci major, right? Yeah. I study mostly international relations. You know, peace and conflict studies, security issues, that sort of thing. When it comes to like international stability in general, you know, think mm. about like the war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Right, you know that sort of thing um, are a lot of where a lot of my main focuses are. But I'm also, you know, pretty big like political nerd, so I tend to keep up on a lot of these topics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that I thought was really, um, you know, it felt true to me is 
how a lot of students I think are kind of tuning out of politics just because it's so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jason was kind of talking about that, and he's like, right now is the time to care. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm definitely guilty of just tuning out the news to a large extent just because I feel like there's so many articles that are pulling my attention, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, were any of you inspired or by how students can get involved in politics or have any ideas for yourself of how you want to get involved? I'm, I'm kind of curious how few students actually do care because uh, the last two election cycles have been like historic highs for youth votes. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so I feel like we care more than ever. And I was, uh, I mean, I went to the protests for right after Roe v. Wade was repealed and when they were voting on the transgender sports bill last year. And youth people, we care a lot. Mm. A lot of people do care. I think in the past, sometimes young people like our age, you know, may Mm. have like talked the big talk about how frustrated we are with politics because Mm -hmm. we are concerned Mm -hmm. and then don't show up to vote, you know, Mm because there are oftentimes not good candidates often. Especially around here. Exactly. And so it's like, I think a lot of times, though, people are coming to realize, like, you got to vote for someone, you know, or vote for, and when you vote, there's a lot of, like, ballot initiatives, you know, and building, like, those relationships. So maybe I don't, like, agree with a legislator on everything, but I know that they're going to fund public education or Mm -hmm. they're going to protect, you know, transgender rights. And those two things, what uh, he was talking about, seemed really scary if they go through because of course uh removing care for transgender people is very scary Mm -hmm. to a lot of people including myself uh but also i worked with kids for the better part of 2022 uh in just bad areas not bad areas but uh poor areas of salt lake city and the last thing those kids need is less money in their schools I mean, I think that one big problem, too, is from what I understand, um, it sounds like the right wing is generally more um, focused on school choice. Like mm-hmm. if you can go to a private school or charter school or religious school. Because then um, they can Because they control can afford what, it, though, too. Well, they can afford it and they can control what is being taught, which is what mm-hmm. they want to do if you look at Florida. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like students... When people like school choice sounds great in theory, when Mm -hmm. but it's like in reality, the scholarships often do not cover the cost of tuition, they Mm -hmm. don't cover the cost of uniforms, transportation. Like, Mm -hmm. if you have both your parents working full time, like, whatever private school you insert here will Mm -hmm. not have a bus that picks up the kids in their neighborhood, they will not probably won't have free or reduced cost school lunch. Mm-hmm. It won't have fee waivers for sports programs, for arts programs. For after school programs. For any of those, yeah. yeah. And so it's gonna be, maybe some kids are going to benefit, but there's gonna be a lot of kids. It's gonna be that the ones that are already out. gonna be benefiting Exactly. Anyway. There, a lot mm. of kids are gonna be left out in the cold because they still have to go to their public schools that will be drained of funds because the parent, you know, because Utah, especially when we look at these school districts, mm-hmm. like especially in like Salt Lake, the West Side, it's mm-hmm. very like economically polarized. It's really bad. Yeah. Mm. So there's like a small group of wealthy parents that live in Salt Lake, you know, yep. and they'll take their kids out. And, but they're the ones bringing the funds in. 
And then all the parents that can't afford to send their kids to the private schools will have their kids stuck in poorly run, poorly funded, mm-hmm. you know, public schools that are going to be poorly run because they have no money to attract teachers yep. that are good. I mm. very much hope that it doesn't pass. It's like scary thinking about, I, I worked with a lot of kids who are refugees, a lot of kids yeah. who, uh, whose parents didn't speak English, like a lot of very poor children. And it was, it was a bunch of different schools, mostly public. There was one charter school that came, that fed into my program. And I'm just imagining, because they, they weren't well off either, the charter kids, but I'm just imagining the school is going to get, especially charter schools, they're ran like businesses. I mean, pri- private schools are businesses explicitly. So there's going to be a lot of teachers who suffer and kids who suffer and a lot of owners of charter and private schools who do not. And graft, corruption, charter schools often have very little oversight Mm -hmm. in how money is spent. And that's not all the case for all charter schools. Some are public charter schools. They work well. Students can actually go to them in their communities. But that's not really the case in a lot of places here in Utah. Hmm. And so, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's not to say that, like, public education has no corruption whatsoever Mm -hmm. because you're – that's just not the case, but it's like definitely seen less. I have seen less oversight in charter schools here. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think there is an argument to be made, right, that maybe we should spend all of our money as a government, right, on the public schools or at least, um, you know, prioritize that. Um, I mean, Utah has, I think, the lowest amount of money going to public schools or among, one of the lowest out of the states yeah. per people, right? I mean, our scores are still pretty good, like mid-tier. Um, yeah, what do you think, Connor? What do you think about schools? Um, as someone who just heard about this uh, bill for the first time from him, uh, it sounded a little bit uh, like it would only benefit, um, you know, wealthy families who, uh, you know, would uh, benefit from attending a private or charter school yeah, and uh, leave the public schools in the dust. And you guys are kind of echoing that sentiment. I uh, mm. hadn't heard of this before. So mm. you guys are kind of articulated my feelings uh, as I was hearing him talk about that earlier. Yeah. Well, what are other bills that you guys are excited about or nervous about in the session or, you know, looking forward to? I'm really anxious about transgender bans because I, I mean, it's explicitly – I'm going to say evil because there's really no defense of uh, putting any type of person down at all. And these are people who are less fortunate. Every trans person I know, like binary trans people at least, would probably say they wish they were cis and of the gender that they transitioned to. They, they're just not as fortunate, not like they that they have to go through a transition mm. in a society that hurts them so much. Uh, again, I knew kids who were non-binary, kids who were trans, who were, like the, these were elementary school kids I was working with, uh, who couldn't come out to their parents. They came out to me because they trusted me, and I would never tell. Mm. And I'm just imagining the pain they're going to have to go through if it goes, it gets banned. And this is assuming that it's just banned in minors. Um, which 
is being generous. That's being very generous. Yeah. Well, a lot uh, of people think this idea is dystopian, you know, that you can let your kids express themselves, you mm -hmm. know, however they want to, however they feel. Um, and really, it's just, it's not as big of a deal as people make it. You know, people think that we're trying to dismantle society and uh, it's going to have all these negative repercussions when really mm -hmm. it's just like allowing people to express themselves. And mm -hmm. especially puberty blockers are widely available. They are pretty easy to get from any doctor if you say, my boobs are getting too big. I am going to have back problems. They'll give you puberty blockers, no questions mm. asked. But if you say, I want puberty blockers because I'm going to transition, they there's a whole thing, and that's what's going to be banned. Okay. Which, I mean, not to say that the other use isn't necessary, because of course it is. But just it's specifying so, one group. It's so kind of specifically like mm -hmm. it's so obviously discriminatory to oh, a yeah. people who are unfortunate and like are already fighting to survive in a world where their suicide rates are much higher than everyone else's because they are being treated poorly. And it makes me really upset. Well it's also like like, my roommate in D.C., his dad was a doctor who, mm -hmm. like, his clinic did a lot of, like, sort of, like, transitions, you know, mm -hmm. and stuff. And it's, like, a process for people to, like, be able to, to be able to yeah. transition. It's not like you just go to a doctor, you know, mm -hmm. and be like, I want to transition. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel this way. And the doctor will just give it to you, you nope. know. No, it's like you, it. you have to go see social workers. Mm -hmm. People have to go see psychiatrists. And that's in the best of states. Oh, and, that, and that's in, like, Colorado. Yeah. This, this is in, like, one of the best states for, like, transgender transition care. Yep. Right? Where it's, like, it's a process. Like, people have to, like... Like people, the people are not just going out on a whim and doing this. Mm -hmm. Like that would be ridiculous to say. There's mm -hmm. a lot of doctors you have to talk with about this. Psychology, yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like that's just a thing that is um, happening in a lot of states. Those bans, yeah. you know. Um, they, say, they cite these studies that say that however many percent of trans people end up detransitioning, but if you actually read the study. Uh, 90% of them is because 90% uh, of the people who detransition are people who later retransition when they are in a better place, whether that is they can afford the medication or they can not be living with their bigoted parents or whatever. Um, because coming out as transgender is very scary. It's, mm. So why would anybody go through that if they weren't actually transgender like it'd be crazy yeah no it's a, it's like an incredibly like socially like vul making yourself so mm -hmm. vulnerable like i i have to explain to family members like nobody is going to come out and, and this is i think this comes I and mean, especially like trans and non-binary people mm -hmm. but also just like anyone who's like lgbtq mm -hmm. it's like it's not it's not something that's like socially acceptable still maybe in certain areas of the country mm -hmm. but like even then you'll still run into tons of bigoted people mm -hmm. even like california which is yeah. considered one of the best states to be queer mm -hmm. right mm. yeah yeah i mean 
I definitely think education and transgender issues are two just really heavy issues, but important issues to look for, mm-hmm. um, especially with this session. I'm curious if there's anything, you know, um, positive or exciting you guys are finding about this session um, that you think could make some good progress. Ben's Water. the guy to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not positive. The Great Salt Lake is dying, but like we can potentially save it, I think. Yeah, I hope so. Water rights, you know, I think legislators are finally coming to the realization we cannot have unfettered alfalfa growth, you know? And mm-hmm. that's not going to mean we're going to go to like zero alfalfa in right. the states. That's like not realistic. But gradually in terms decrease. of But we're, what we can do is we can decrease that. We can incentivize farmers to grow something else or to not grow anything. Uh-huh. Like there was something I read that was like, we could pay them a certain amount, like every farmer that grows alfalfa to not grow alfalfa. And we'd be like, saving more money because of water mm. usage yeah. positive. and then you know there's water metering saying you don't have unlimited water rights mm-hmm. just because you have this land here you know sure uh, there's a whole number of things i mean that i can think of there um we gotta do something and yeah hopefully i mean it's it, the way i've looked or seen it kind of seems like there's good momentum yeah which is good because a lot of people are going to die, frankly, if nothing gets done. There's some. There's a bipartisan effort, right, to I try to so. fix things, and that's I think what I'm seeing. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that we have um, a unique situation in Utah just because we're such a environmentally diverse state. So I think we can yeah. make a really cool um, example if we can get this under control. You yeah. know, I think that's where a lot of compromises happen is on these environmental issues because um, while there might be a lot of culture war issues where um, uneducated people try to put up walls and barriers mm. for certain people uh, without really thinking about how it affects them. Yeah. Um, the environment is at least something that most people can uh, look at, you know, yeah, um, totally. actual data. Yeah, in you this case at least. can't put up barriers against arsenic. That's yeah. all I'm mm. saying. It's know? not as much of a wedge When heavy metals like, yeah. start blowing yep. off the dried yeah. up Great Salt Lake and exactly. – our kids start dying and we decide we have to move to either Colorado it's a lot easier of them to it's a lot easier for them to just pretend that like global warming isn't happening when we don't get hurricanes every year because we are inward it's a lot harder (laughs) to ignore poison in the air worse than it already is say we already yeah all have asthma probably we're not there yet though i think we're okay for now (laughs) as long as we get this under control but yeah so um, at least that conversation gives me hope you know at least uh people in utah seem to be concerned about the environment they seem to believe data and that gives me a little bit of uh positive feelings yeah. Definitely. Well, any last thoughts, guys, before we wrap this up? No, let's end it on something happy. All right. Good that stuff. Yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> save the Great Salt Lake, and yeah. please get involved in the legislature. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And that's been another episode of Long Story Short. We hope that you found this episode interesting and informative. And if you've enjoyed the, today's episode, please make sure to look out for our next one. <laughs>